Hello, you're listening to The Deep Cut, a podcast from Atlanta Christian Church led by pastors Derek Sweatman, Lindsay Self, and Joel Mooneyhan. Each week we take about 30 minutes looking at the previous week's message and text to explore the theological and practical applications for those of you listening. We're glad you're here. We hope you find it meaningful. And now let's get started. Joel. What's up? Yep. Uh, week two of our A Distant Faith Deep Cut podcasts. Um, this one comes on the heels of a sermon entitled Buyer's Remorse, <laughs> what it means to own your faith. And so this should be an exciting conversation. Um, what we're going to do is get into our passage first uh, that we had from Sunday, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. We only did 13, 14, and 15 on Sunday, but those other verses matter uh, as we get into the story a little deeper. And then, um, yeah, and then we'll share some some ideas, some findings, some great quotations. I have one Star Wars quote. Did I have a Star Wars quote last time? Yeah, you did. Okay, I'm just going to work on that every week. This is a good one, though, but I'm not going to You've forbidden me from mentioning Fight Club or yeah. Interstellar or well, to be fair, any other movies. Yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. Versus, versus Fight Club. Versus whatever they're showing at Terra Movie <laughs> down on <laughs> down on whatever that is, Linux Road. It's a modern classic. Mm-hmm. Is it called Terra Theaters? Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we show those like B movies. <laughs> so Okay. Um, Joel, you want to read the text, and then we'll jump into this. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came in to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one who was the Christ. (laughs) The word of God for the people of God. Yeah. And for those who aren't aware of this, that's more of a Mark thing. Mm-hmm. Mark has that thing throughout his gospel where Jesus is like, and don't tell anybody By the way. I, that I just did that trick. Yeah. Super cool that you can walk now. Yeah. The, the, the mystery in Mark's uh, the hidden Messiah. Anyway. Yeah, any opening thoughts about that? And we'll just all weigh in. Well, a little bit of the background. Uh, the setting is very important. Caesarea Philippi was the site of over a dozen temples to the uh, ancient Syrian worship of Baal. Mm -hmm. It was nearby a cavern that was said to be the birthplace of the Greek god Pan, who was the god of nature. Peter Pan. Peter Pan. That is the connection, Um, I think. There was a marble temple to honor the god who was Caesar. And Caesarea Philippi was also said to be the place where the Jordan sprang from. So it had a lot of religious significance to Jews. 
And I'm bringing that up to say that Jesus is having this conversation with them in the shadow of a lot of competing allegiances. So you've got uh, religious plurality, you've got the allegiance to the state or the government or the power of politics, mm-hmm. uh, you've got their Jewish heritage, mm-hmm. and you've got this sort of pseudo-spiritual nature uh, deity. And it's not insignificant that this is where Jesus says, hey, uh, who do you say that I am? Pick In the middle of all these other things, yeah. Yeah. Well, just the name Caesarea. It was, it, was named, it was later named that, and it was originally named for the god Pan right. before that. Yep. So it was a huge deal. Yep. Um, and then just their answers, uh, they mention uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist sort of represents a political threat to the powers that be. Uh, Elijah and Jeremiah are great prophets or good moral teachers who are forerunners to the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jesus is neither, and at the same time, he's more. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's not just a threat to political power. He's a threat to all power as we understand it, yeah. to the point of the power of death. And he's not just a good moral teacher, but he's the very paradigm of humanity that we're trying to hit. So um, at once, he's he doesn't really fit into either category, but he actually covers both categories more than mm-hmm. they can possibly understand it. I love that they had an answer in the pocket. Like, yeah, <laughs> who do people say that I am? And they were just funny. You should ask. Very that. quick to like, you know what? Good thing you asked because people have been talking. People have been talking. So. I think it's interesting too that the list that they give versus what they themselves say that they believe, the list of what others say, they're all reincarnations mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. that were already alive and now I dead bet. and gone. Whereas as the Christ, he's actually the incarnation of God. Like mm-hmm. there's that difference yeah. of somebody that already was versus like this new. No, that's a good thing. point. As great as those names are, they're not, yeah. they're still not close. And he was the, he's the one who was there before they were, and he yeah. will be there long after. You know, and part of the, the drive of this story is Jesus, Jesus shifting the question to them personally. So there's a lot of groupthink happening. There's a lot of like, well, this is what everybody is saying. Um, you know, and as you painted earlier, Joel, the cultural scene of, I mean, everybody just goes along with, everyone's in the wide lane of traffic. Yeah. And... Um, you know, so I, you know, I like the disorientation part of this text. You know, to to harken back to last two Sundays ago, um, that sometimes our faith goes through a stage of disorientation, and this is what's happening with the disciples. Yeah, because he's questioning them on. That's great that that's what people think of me, but what do you think? Uh, who do you think that I am? And so this sends them into like a, you know, where we all end up at some point, which is what what do I think? You about? have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's an unlearning that's happening and a relearning. And part of the unlearning is um, what does it mean to be Messiah? So there's all these like ideas about who the Messiah was going to be. Mm-hmm. And Jesus isn't fitting hardly any of those check boxes, um, except for the fact that he's a very powerful teacher and he can serve on water. You know, like yeah. there's these weird like he, he heals people. He walks on water. Um, but other than that, they get it wrong. And yeah. there's something to say about that. I don't know if it'd be now's a good time to say it or if it might be a little bit later. We only have 30 minutes, so, so now's always a good time. Well, I was just going to say a little bit later, if you're reading this passage, it, you want to read through to the next couple parts. And there's one part where Jesus explains what the Messiah has to do and the Messiah mm-hmm. has to die and then be raised. No Messiah, no Jewish person would ever understand the Messiah as dying. 
No. And so Peter has a problem with that. And Peter responds by saying, no, that's not what's going to happen. You're going to be this great king, and we're going to set you up. And what's interesting is that Peter is trying to make Jesus who he thinks he should be. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to make Jesus fit his understanding. Yeah. Um, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, yeah. or get behind me, enemy. Yeah. And that word, hasatan, is one of someone who's an enemy, an adversary, or someone who makes false accusations. Mm-hmm. And so what he's really saying is there is a proper way to understand me. There are incorrect ways to understand me, and there is a proper way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it matters that you understand me correctly on your own. You have to come to these conclusions by yourself. Um, it's interesting, too, how quickly from the passage that we just read to what you're talking about in, like, the next section with Peter, who, you know, he's Simon before, and then Jesus renames him Peter, yeah. how quickly he goes from, I will build my rock upon yeah. what you're saying, because Peter was really speaking for the group, he was speaking for the disciples, which really right. gets into a lot of what we're going to talk about today, of faith being not only individual, but collective. Mm-hmm. Um, but how quickly it's it turns from Peter saying this amazingly correct thing to, you're my enemy. hold on, <laughs> that's a not that's not quite right. So... Yeah. I think that's a good lesson for us, too, to understand that in our faith, we get things really right sometimes, Mm -hmm. and we get things really wrong sometimes. And Jesus didn't completely denounce Peter and say, like, I'm done with you. But it was a chance to rebuke him, like what you were saying, and correct him. Well, and the way he rebukes him, we kind of read it as this, like, Jesus coming down real hard on him. But really, you have a better way, I think, to think of it is Jesus almost being heartbroken you still don't get it. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to show you something better. Yeah. And so, you know, really the what makes him an enemy is not him as a person, but it's his the the improper understanding is at odds and in conflict yeah. with who Jesus is. I think that's great. <clears throat> Let me say a couple things here and then we can move into part two, which is mm-hmm. uh, should be a lot of fun. But you know, I think what Jesus is doing here is crucial and he's asking the disciples again, like what what do you believe about me? Uh, not so much what others think, but what do you think? And so you have to look into what we might call this uh, personalization of our faith with Jesus. So uh, what are my own conclusions about his life and his teachings and so forth? And in John's gospel, there's that whole motif of come and see. Like that's the most mm-hmm. repeated command, if you will, in John's gospel. So it's this invitation to like following Jesus as part of, of discipleship, yes, but discovering who he is is a very important part of it, too. And I think, you know, we'll get to this in a moment, but we're never done with that journey. So we're always like, re- we're always learning about Jesus in new times and new ways. And, um, you know, that that that, uh, that image we have of him and understanding we have of him should continue to grow and change. And so I like that. I come and see, like, it's just, there's just more to discover, mm-hmm. you know, but you, you got to do it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, One of the things that uh, uh, Lindsay said when we were prepping for this was, you know, the question of like, well, do I believe what we believe? So this is really a good transition into what is the relationship between the corporate faith and the private faith? Uh, Because both exist, you know, both are real. And um, in America, we've made the private faith more important uh, than than the corporate faith. And then I would say in other church traditions, the corporate faith is more important than the private. And the Reformation, you know, 500 plus years ago, was genuinely rooted in this. We have to, we have to share some of the, the, um, the payload with 
corporate versus private. There was no privatization of faith. It was just whatever the higher-ups are saying in the church, and we all just nod and smile and pray the prayers. But, uh, you know, these reformers wanted the Bible in people's hands yeah, um, so that there could be this personalization. Uh, not isolated, but this whole thing about, well, what, what do you think? You know, So I think that's a... Um, this whole practice of owning our faith is important. Any thoughts on that? I think uh, in my just preparing for today, one of the things um, that I read about in this shift towards a more personal faith, which is important, but almost away from the corporate faith of it, as you said, um, is this shift towards faith kind of becoming a personal quest. Mm-hmm. It's what what am I going to get out of this? What How am I going to grow what am I going to get out of the sermon or the worship or um, how is this going to affect my life? And that's shifted us away from the thinking of being a part of a community of believers and how that is a big part of shaping our faith. That's a big part of how we grow. It's not just an individual journey, although that's part of it, um, but it's not, it's not just this personal quest. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a quest that we're all on together. Yeah. I think, too, when, depending on what tradition you come from, uh, some churches say the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, and when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, it's our Father. Our, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the Apostles' Creed, uh, we believe in God the Father, and so on. And as important as it is to have personal devotion, extremely important, but I find it interesting that those those creeds and those prayers are things that we pray plural mm-hmm. and yeah and so when you're praying them i mean i when you're saying the apostles creed or when you're praying the lord's prayer you you're not just speaking on behalf of yourself you're speaking on behalf of everybody yeah and uh you to to say them that way you're effectively agreeing yeah i mean like Lindsay said do I believe what we believe? And to say those things with another group of people yeah. is to affirm that not only it, it go it's it's symbiotic. Like not only do I believe it, but I believe it as we believe it. And not only does this group believe it, but I also mm-hmm. believe what they believe. And it kind of goes back and forth. But you, it's ownership. It's us and me and we all together. Yeah. <clears throat> Scott McKnight talks about there's a difference between praying in the church and with the church. Mm -hmm. So in the church is, I'm in the physical space of the church and and I'm in the community of the church, but I'm just, I'm not necessarily praying with them. Um, So there's this distinction between um, anonymity within a community and then a witness. And so uh, both are good. You know, there are times where we have to pray and be on our own and our faith is quite, privatized in the sense that we're going through personal things or whatever, but then there's also this other witness piece that's super important. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the one of the biggest struggles is uh, we tend to choose. Do we want the corporate or the private? Um, we, we don't necessarily see them as something you can do together. Um, it's funny how anti-binary we are, but that's all we are. Right. We're very yes or no, us and them. Yeah. And Jesus comes along and he's like, well, it's a little more fluid than that. Yeah, and I think, too, 
I think there's, especially in the United States, there's this idea of like not, you want to have your own identity. You don't mm -hmm. want to lose it to the group. And I think mm -hmm. in what Christianity offers is that the closer you are to the group and the closer, the closer you can get to God because we're made for community. Mm -hmm. Having said that, the closer you get to God, the more you become who you are mm -hmm. and who you were created to be. Yeah. And so by all of us lifting one another up in community, we all find out yeah. you know, what it is that, or who it is that we're created to be on our own individually. Yeah. Um, so, and in doing so, you strengthen the rest of the community. So that, again, it all goes back and forth, but you don't need to be afraid of, oh, I'm going to lose my identity. No, you're going to find mm -hmm. your identity. A new one. Yeah. Well, philosopher Peter Rollins mm -hmm. talks about that, where he's like, Christianity is not about finding yourself or losing yourself into a different new identity. So it's, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right, this is where my Star Wars quote comes in. Sweet. Right. I'm ready. Okay. So <laughs> when I was reading Matthew 16, uh, this came to mind, but it's from uh, The Rise of Skywalker, so a new one. Nice. Uh, okay. But it's where Luke says to Ray, and this is so good, there are a thousand generations that live in you now, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but this is your fight. So there's the combination of, like, you're part of this thing, but right now, this is what Jesus is doing with the disciples. What do you think? You know, and so um, I love how the movies are biblical. But yeah. uh, <laughs> especially our favorite ones. And so with that, I wanted to, like, open it up to, uh, I feel like each of us probably has some experience with this where, yeah, we're with this thousands of generations of, Christians, but then there's this moment where we're just in this alone. We're fighting through and trying to discover what we believe. Does anybody have one example of that? I mean, I mean, Lindsay and I just pointed to each other. <laughs> I I grew up in the church, and so there's as did I. <laughs> yeah, and so there's sort of that the the meandering and the. Uh, falling away from faith and then coming back to it or, you know, finding Jesus, you know, while I'm strung out on some, you know, whatever. That didn't really happen for me. It was just sort of more of this... Inoculation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. And it was just sort of... But having said that, there were... I can't think of specific moments. It's like a slow progression. Yeah. And the, uh, the way I'd describe it is you've got Paul on the road to Damascus. He gets blinded by the light and knocked to the ground. And... From one minute to the next, he doesn't know, and then he knows. And then you've got the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they've experienced Jesus, they know who he is, and then they encounter him on the road, and they don't quite recognize him until this really intimate moment. Mm -hmm. um, and they're sort of awakened to it. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much a huge change as much as it is Jesus is walking along with them. Mm -hmm. And he kind of they feel something about who this person is, and then he's kind of slowly revealed. And I've had moments like that throughout my life, but... I mean, I, I can think of just, there were moments where, you know, I'd, I can think of getting through with college and I was, I'd kind of gotten a little disillusioned and thought I might go to get a graduate degree in art. And just, I can remember a specific evening where I heard um, the then president of Asbury speak and just sort of clicked again that what I was about to do was, was motivated by the group of people I was with and not in a bad way, but it was just... I had sort of not focused as much on, mm -hmm. wait, who was Christ really calling me out to be and what am I calling out to do? And I had to kind of reassess and realize that 
the path I had been headed on for so long was really the one I needed to be on. Yeah. Um, I didn't need to just buck the tradition just because. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's helpful. But yeah, sure. No, I think, and I had, even though my dad wasn't a pastor like yours um, was and is, I grew up in a church where my dad um, was like the super youth leader. Mm-hmm. He was the youth leader that everyone loved. He still is. He just turned 74, and he still does student ministry, and they all love him. They call him Mr. Ed. So I, I know. <laughs> Mr. Ed. Yeah, it's great. Do they um, put peanut butter in his mouth so he talks, <laughs> he talks, he talks. like the horse? A oh, horse? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I did not grow up with any anonymity in the church either. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew me, and I was, you know, oh, you're Ed's daughter. Um, I do remember in high school, uh, we, we had a bit of turnover in our youth pastors as well. So I do remember in high school when we got a new youth pastor, I remember moments in his teaching where I started to learn, oh, this is my faith. You know, that this is something that I need to choose to believe or not believe. This is something that I need to do something about in, Sorry, y'all. in reading and studying the word and, and that kind of thing. Um, but I never really, like, rebelled against any of that, like you were saying. Um, for me, it was more so as I, I grew up in that and then continued on into college. I lived at home, stayed involved in church. I did Young Life. Um, so I was very well known, and I had this feeling of, like, I just felt like I was always being watched. Like, I felt like I lived in this bubble of everyone knew me and I couldn't make a mistake. I was the youngest of four and like all these expectations. So after college, I actually moved away. I talked about this in my breakout room a couple Sundays ago with them, but I moved away. I went overseas um, and was a nanny in Italy for a year. And I went over there very um, arrogant, I think, and egotistical in my faith thinking, oh, I've got this. You know, I can handle this. I'll be gone from my community for a year, but like, I'll take my Bible study, I'll take my study Bible, I'll take, you know, all these things, and everything will be fine, and within a few months, I realized, oh, it's not fine, I was missing that community, I tried to go to, um, like, the mass that they had in English uh, every so often, whenever I could get off of my work, (laughs) of nannying, but it wasn't the same. And so that year, while it was an amazing year of my life, it was also very difficult on me spiritually. So I came home, um, I don't know if broken is the right word, but just very beat up in my faith and feeling like I had failed in such a huge way. And so coming back home and into community, um, I feel like God really put me in a good place when I came back home to have that support again. And so I think that's where I maybe learned not just that it was an individual faith, but that it's both. Mm-hmm. I think that's really the first moment that I figured out, oh, this is about what I do, but this is also about the people that I'm around that I do this with yeah. and who are a support for me and I'm a support for them. I just picture you having snuck into the Vatican. <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> Blessed are the cheesemakers. <laughs> I think for me... Um, it was more, this is a very specific story, but when, uh, it's the flood story for me. So when I was handed a copy of the Babylonian Gilgamesh epic, mm-hmm. 
which is much older than any story in Israel's history. And when they get around to the, their flood story, and I'm reading it, and I'm just like, this is the exact same story. Exactly. <sighs> Other than like the number of days and a few odds and ends, it's like, God is mad. The gods are mad. Let's pick a family we like, build a boat, etc. Cetera, et cetera. I mean, like, it's crazy similar. And uh, I remember reading that and just thinking, you know, so if faith is this brick wall, a brick just came out. And um, so for me, it did not send me like in a spiral away from faith, but it definitely made me, I need to figure this out. Yeah. You know? And that sent me in just this wonderful, like, not just academic journey, but spiritual journey of like, what does all this mean? And then, of course, you know, in that process, you discover, oh, my gosh, there's like 60 plus ancient flood stories that are all similar. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so what is the Bible doing? Why is this in here? Which one's real? Which one's fake? You know, and so, yeah, I mean, we're not going to get into that. But like, for me, that is like the uh, example of like um, the kind of things that have pushed me to wrestle with, yeah. uh, to wrestle away from to wrestle my way away from everyone else and just sort of privately figure this out. Um, not entirely, of course, you need the community to help. And so um, for me, that's the kind of story. Um, and those happen all the time. They happen all the time, you know. So well, oh, On that, too, and Lindsay, you mentioned something about this yesterday. But I think it's important, and I'm thankful that I have this kind of relationship with my dad, that questions were not discouraged. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that helped me was that when I had deep questions or questions that were difficult or struggled with, they weren't treated as, well, you just have to believe it because the Bible says it. Right. Okay, well, I, you can trust the Bible but still ask questions and still probe mm -hmm. what it's saying and where it's coming from. And and I, we might you might cover this a little bit more in the next section, but be okay with leaning into the doubt and the yeah. questions because if you really trust that God is who he says he yeah. is, you're not going to land somewhere that he doesn't, that he is not mm -hmm. there. The ground may look different, mm -hmm. but Jesus will still meet you there too. So yeah. don't be afraid of that. Yeah, that question really, when it popped into my head yesterday, that do I believe what we believe, um, I it really prompted me to think more in terms too of, our children's ministry and our youth ministry and how as a body of believers, as parents, um, adults in the church, leaders, teachers, uh, we do have this responsibility to teach mm -hmm. our children and teach our students our faith, teach them what we believe, <clears throat> but they also have to get to a point where they ask themselves this question. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big fear for a lot of parents, like what you were saying, your dad leaned into it. Derek, I know you did this a lot as well. You're good about this, um, leaning into that and allowing your kids to ask those questions and start to take responsibility to themselves or take that responsibility on themselves. And it's a scary point for parents when their kids all of a sudden are thinking for themselves and making these decisions. Um, but it's okay to wander. It's okay to wonder about things, mm -hmm. to have those doubts, because those are the things that grow our faith. It's, Derek, in your story of the flood, like, that was a growing point in your faith, because you're like, oh, wait, that's, mm -hmm. there's something else going on here. Mm -hmm. um, well, and usually these examples are, and we're kind of in this third section already, probably, <laughs> but 
usually these experiences are more abstractions. So it's like before there's good news, it's just bad news. And mm-hmm. the bad news is like there's this great disorientation. And, um, you know, but as you pointed out, like the doubt thing, like I remember the uh, Joan Chatister, um, she says she has this whole thing about doubt. But she's like, doubt is truly the beginning of real faith. Mm-hmm. It's not the other way around. You know, doubt is where we're forced to put things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, as we talk about application, I always tend to say in some way or the other, uh, a deepening faith is sometimes surprising, but it's never accidental. And so it does require us to take steps, to dig in, to like not ignore the problem areas, but to, to, to explore them and, and rediscover some things. Like it's, it's, it might, it, it'll be a surprising journey, but it will not be an accidental journey. I've never to this day even in my own life, but never have met anybody that's just like, you know what, I just like by, by sheer miracle, I've, <laughs> I grew in the depth of my faith. Mm-hmm. And certainty. What did you do to do that? Oh, nothing. I just uh, just woke up and I was like set. Never happens. Never happened. No. And usually it's the other way. If it's that way, usually it's the drift away from. And um, and so, yeah. Any thoughts about like some application stuff? Because I mean, that's why people showed up. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to go over? Um, I can talk. Well, there's one other quote I was going to read. Um, from a book I read a few years ago called Spiritual Formation in Emerging Adulthood. So it's really about the next step after high school, and it talks a lot about this disengagement that we see so often when high schoolers go to college and then afterwards, and then percentages and re-engagement and those kinds of things. What, like what pulls people away from the church and their faith and what pulls them back? And this one quote, it's, on, it's a whole chapter on identity, and it talks a lot about um, our identity as individuals, but also, like we're talking about here, as a community. Um, and it says, For in the end, identity is not simply a personal choice or achievement. While there is need, a need to internalize and own beliefs and convictions, Christian identity is always tied to a community of truth that bestows an identity, ultimately through baptism, of communal membership in the body of believers. And I thought it, it just puts it so well that it goes back to what we're talking about. Like all these things are individual choices and things we decide to believe or not, but it's so rooted in mm-hmm. our community. And that's why even during this time of separation, it's important for us to stay in community yeah. and stay in these conversations. Well, as Luke Timothy Johnson puts it, he's just like the strength of what, quote, we believe, we hope to one day find that same strength in what I believe, you know, the, the individual. So the we believe is the, the inspiration, you know, the community. We're always more faithful together than we are alone. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, it is that, that's the relationship there. It's like I'm going to work on myself with this larger entity of faith um, that is, that's inspiring. You have something? Yeah, and it, real quick on that, it's, it's backwards from what, culture says like I need to get right with myself and yeah but you need to you also need to figure out your place in this mm-hmm. this body that we're a part of yeah. if we're Christians yeah it's a little harder on this topic to like what can I do because this is such an esoteric thing what can I do to claim my faith um, <clears throat> I think that some of it's just the obvious and I think I even said this last week like read the Bible more and pray mm-hmm. more and I but seriously do that uh, I, I found this quote from N.T. Wright that I've used 
several years ago, but I just left it in my Bible, but he says, just read the Gospels more. The dynamism of the Gospels and the person who walks out of these pages to meet us is central and irreplaceable. He, Jesus, is always, an, is always a surprise. We never have Jesus in our pockets. He's always coming at us from a new angle. Mm-hmm. And I think that just speaks to the, the importance, yes, of being personally devoted and kind of soaking yourself in Scripture. Uh, but to the point of community, you know, we are, we've kind of broken things down into parishes, and there are a lot of ways that mm-hmm. people can serve and get engaged. And we have those here for you. And I think one of the great things about that is that as you're serving the kingdom, uh, you're serving Christ. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing that with other people, you're serving Christ. And so the more you do that, the more connected to Christ you will be because you're you're understanding what he cares for, who he cares for, how he cares to show that to them, and you're a part of that. And the more, I mean, if you work for any company, the more you work for that company and learn who the company is, the more... Mm -hmm the more you know it and can own it and you know your first day at work is different from your 10th year at work where like it's you can really own and understand the vision and church is the same way so yeah find ways that we have plenty of ways for people to serve uh, and to get involved and to join the community um you know but like you said be intentional and be deliberate about being connected you raise a good point because part of it is just doing what jesus did Mm -hmm. and i mean that's a whole c.s lewis chapter i think and your Christianity, but just, just pretend. Just for a while, just pretend that you're a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually, your faith will catch up to your actions. But uh, I would also say too, like just for those listening, we're going to put a resources page on the website that'll just have like books that we recommend, websites we recommend. There's some downloadable things to grab, and just you know, curating your faith is a constant thing. So I think just keep that in mind. So this was a great episode. It was. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Deep Cut. If you'd like more episodes, want to listen through our archives of sermon series, or if you're in the Atlanta area and want to learn more about ACC's mission and ministry, you can find us online at www.atlantachristianchurch.org or follow us on Instagram at the handle Atlanta Christian Church. Special thanks to Jeff Box and Dave Hick for our musical themes, and thanks again to you for listening. We'll be back next week, but until then, y'all have a good one and go with Christ. Grace and peace, and we will see you soon.